but distracted by that gospel. Every week after we read the gospel, we respond with praise to you, Lord Christ, which most of the time is relatively easy, except for when the story ends in the weeping and the gnashing of teeth and the great outer darkness. It's a little less, uh, resonates a little less with praise. It's a little scary, disturbing. It's been a while since I've preached on the gospel. I had to go back for my own self and put myself in the context of what's going on. The series began several weeks ago when Jesus began teaching in the temple. You may remember Elisa's good sermon from that Sunday. She reminded us that this part of the gospel normally comes to us during Holy Week. Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem and cleansing the temple, what I like to call his temple tantrum. I want us to remember how our subdean painted the scene in the midst of Jesus overturning tables and driving out the money changers. The blind and the lame come to Jesus. He is approachable and accessible and he heals them. The children worship him and the religious leaders become angry. We can imagine the scene. Jesus is surrounded by all kinds of people. He is doing strong, holy work. When Jesus returns to the temple the next day, the chief priests and elders question his authority. It is, to me, an irritating question, a bit like asking a kind person why they are being kind. But Jesus is much less irritable than me, I suppose. And he responds, Instead, with stories. Three stories. The story of two sons, one who changes their mind. The story of the wicked tenants. And today, the story of the wedding banquet. And with each one, the drama rises. While the story of the two sons seems rather simple, the drama of the wicked tenants is a bit alarming, at least to me. And today's parable of the wedding banquet is, again, for me, downright disturbing. We might wonder how these three stories reveal Jesus' authority. Now, may I remind us that parables are complicated. First, it is likely that Jesus already knew, at least somewhat, these stories, He probably did not make them up of his own accord. The parable of the wicked tenants, the gospel from last week, is a great example of this. It is based on Isaiah chapter 5. The parable then could be Jesus' own interpretation of that particular scripture. Let us also remember the lens of the gospel writers. None of them are following behind Jesus with paper and pen, diligently writing down everything that happens in just the right order. And we know this because these Gospels are dated decades after Jesus' own death. So is it possible that Jesus responded to the question of his authority with these three parables? Of course that's possible. And if we go back and we compare all the Gospels, we will notice differences within the parables. We might even notice that the Gospel of John includes no parables at all. So the parables then, 
include the gospel writer's own interpretations of what Jesus is doing and what he's about. And then, of course, there is us. We bring with us so many assumptions about what is happening in the gospel. Images of God as king. I mean, there he is, right there, for all of us to see. Or ourselves, our landowners. We do not come to these stories with an empty mind or even, as hard as we try, an open heart. I like to think of us as sponges, full, overflowing, that needed to be kind of emptied out as much as possible and made ready for our own discernment. All right, Dean Mo, but what about the question? By what authority is Jesus doing these things? Who gave him this authority? You see, the chief elders and the priests, they are baiting Jesus. They will make it their job to arrest him. And if he will just blaspheme, claim to be God right now, it will make their job so much easier. But Jesus turns the tables, metaphorically, literally. He doesn't take the bait. He turns to them and asks them about John the Baptist and tells them these stories. So I wonder what these stories have to do with the temple, with the crowd, or even with us. Now, let us briefly consider the first two parables. I'm not, if I were to preach a sermon on either of those, we would be here for days, and we have other things to do today. So, I'll be brief. I'll try, at least. So, the first is about the story of two sons. The father says, sons, go and And the first one says, on my way, but never goes. And the second one says, I'd rather not. goes anyway. Jesus to align the tax collectors and the prostitutes with the son, the second son, who changes his mind and the vineyard. And so in this way, the parable seems to be about repentance, or at least the value of changing our minds. It's a good and solid sermon. The second story tells the story of some very wicked tenants in the vineyard. The landowner keeps sending people to watch over the vineyard, to make sure the tenants are doing their jobs, and tenants keep murdering them. They even murder the landowner's own son. Now, I've listened to some fantastic sermons on this parable this week. I would commend them to you. And I am biased towards wondering Reading this parable, we might wonder who is the landowner and who are the tenants. We might reflect on the impact and result of violence. Or we could ponder some phrases that appear in that parable, phrases like the fruits of the kingdom of God. What are those? Where do they come from? Or who is the chief cornerstone of God's kingdom? Is it Jesus? The parable is full, that parable is full of absurdity and some truth about humanity. Where is God in the story? Is God in the story? Which brings me to today. And then there were three, three parables telling the story today of a king giving a great banquet. Now, did you notice that we never actually made it to the banquet? 
That always frustrates me about the parable. We get so close, but we never actually get to see the table. The story focuses on the invitations. First, to those we expect to be at the banquet, whoever that may be. Well, they never show up. So maybe they don't know how extravagant and wonderful this banquet's going to be. Let's invite them again. And another invitation goes out, and those people either ignore the invitation or make light of it, or, and this is where the absurdity begins for me, kill the people who bring the invitation. What is that about? And then the king, so angry that his own slaves have been killed and that no one will come to his party, wreaks havoc on the whole kingdom. How does that make sense? Who's going to come to your party if you wreak havoc on everybody who lives in your kingdom? And I wonder, if you were living in that kingdom and your king did that, and then you got an invitation to the wedding banquet, would you go? I would go, because I would be afraid of what might happen if I didn't go. So nevertheless, turns out, the parable tells us that the wedding hall is full. Phew! Except that someone's not wearing the right thing. Now, personally, this is a great fear of mine. <laughs> right? What if I show up to the party and I'm wearing the wrong clothes? Well, apparently, in this kingdom, if you're not wearing the right clothes, you're thrown into out of darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, we could have maybe, perhaps, predicted that outcome because this king seems particularly prone to fits of rage and violence. But we might wonder why. We might wonder Who is the king in this story? I suppose I have this unrealistic expectation that the parables are going to somehow be clear and direct and that I'm going to be able to preach a sermon that has all the answers. But in fact, I find myself once again saying, isn't it interesting? And I wonder. I mean, maybe I'm just prone to overthink things. And someone, someone here is thinking, but Amy, Dean Moe, Jesus himself says, for many are called, but few are chosen. So perhaps, perhaps the parable is, in fact, about God's invitation to experience God's redemption, reconciliation, the call to repentance. Maybe it is about how the people ignore or make light of or are unable to follow this call. And if this is the case, then the parable still makes me very uncomfortable. I have a hard time imagining the God of Jesus as a violent and vengeful God. Indeed, as I examine Jesus' own life, I never experience his violence or vengefulness. And I have to tell you that as I look around this room, what I see in this glorious cathedral is faithful community. People who are working every day to do their very best to follow the invitation, God's call in their lives, whatever that may be. 
I cannot imagine any one of us rejecting God the way these tents seem to reject the invitation of the king. So how will we understand the parable? Perhaps we can understand it in light of Jesus' own ministry. Perhaps the parable is trying to show us about how we live in God's presence in our lives. I wonder. I wonder if these parables have a way of revealing God's radical love. God's radical love for all of creation. For consider the accessibility of Christ to the blind and the lame, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the chief priests, and the elders. Consider how the sons change their minds. Or how the landowner keeps sending someone to care for the vineyard. Or that extravagant wedding banquet ready to receive anyone who comes. I wonder if we hear God's call to experience and embody this radical love. What will it cost us to join God's redemptive activity in the world? How do our lives reveal our love for God and God's ways? Who do we belong to? Jesus' ministry reveals the nature and character of God's love, which is radical grace and mercy. And we know that God is the one who sets the captives free. We know that God cares for the people in the depths of the wilderness, even as they build a golden calf to honor. God continues to nourish them and show them how to live. So here is Jesus, the incarnate word, inviting us to come close and listen. Listen to these stories and the way they rearrange us and our perspective. Listen to how they bid us to examine our own lives. Perhaps they help us remember who and whose we are. Where you see the kingdom of God is very near to us. And we have come so close to God. So may we have the courage and the strength to follow him, to listen, and to receive his word.